Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Welcome, welcome everyone. Um, it's good to be here, it's good to see you. Hello, I, I'm so sad, I can't see your smiles. Uh, but uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Mateo. And, uh, and maybe you've seen me on the drums, or uh, maybe, uh, maybe I haven't met you at all. Um, it's, it's great to be here, it's always a, 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 an honor to, to be sharing and teaching. And uh, you know, last week we started a new series as we've been in the season of Lent. And it's uh, the seven deadly sins. And last week, we started to look at the sin of pride. And this week, uh, today, we're looking at this sin of anger, okay? Uh, how many of you uh, get angry, got angry maybe this morning on the way to church? Anybody? Yeah, okay, you're in the right place. This is, this is, this is good. Uh, any road ragers in the house? Road ragers, some people are pointing to their spouse. It's okay, we don't judge you. We just won't park near you. That's all, yeah. Um, anger, anger. I, you know, my, I have two boys, a uh, two-year-old and a four-year-old, and uh, my oldest, he's, of course, into, you know, all the superheroes, and his favorite, of course, well, maybe it's not his favorite, one of his favorites is the Hulk. Uh, there's a picture, you're going to see a, a picture of, the, of, that's Ambrose and I with the Hulk filter. You could do a Hulk filter, it makes you look like a Hulk. And the thing about the Hulk is that his, his superhero kind of superpower is that as he gets angry, right, he gets strong. That anger is a source of his strength, right? Anger is this kind of the symbol of his strength. And oftentimes, even in our culture, in our day-to-day -day lives, we might start to think that to be strong, you need to get a little bit angry. And as I was thinking about this, it seems to me that uh, there's a bit of a double standard in our culture because that seems to be true mostly for men, right? Not for women, right? As a man, you, you know, if, something do, if somebody does something to you, somebody cuts you off, or somebody does, you know, if you're in a position of leadership at work and someone does something wrong, you, you kind of have to show that, hey, I'm going to show my anger now because it's a source of strength, just a little bit of anger, right? Because if not, then I, I'm, what am I? I'm weak. I'm a pushover, right? Now, for women, it's a little bit different. For women, it's, you don't, there isn't that same permission, right, for a woman to get angry. If a woman gets angry, they're going to not really be viewed as strong. They're going to kind of be labeled as something else, right? A lot of you kind of know what that's like. Uh, so there's a bit of a double standard when it comes to this idea that to be angry is almost a sign of strength. Now, there's another character that I was thinking about as I thought about anger and these anger issues, and uh, you're going to see him on the screen. His name is Ned Flanders. 
Anybody know Ned Flanders? Ned Flanders is from a pretty popular uh, a TV show called The Simpsons. And Ned Flanders is always happy, right? He is portrayed as someone who is never angry, right? He's never angry, and it almost comes off as being inauthentic, right? Being fake. And he's the kind of person that, you know, you do something to him, he, he gets nicer, right? You know what I'm saying? And in the, in the, in the story, in The Simpsons, he's actually portrayed as a Christian, okay? And this is like a kind of a stereotypical uh, picture of a Christian and, you know, always carrying his Bible, always going around with his Bible, and some, you know, the world is at war, and he'll just be like, oakley doakley neighbor, right? He's just always happy and always angry, and it's like something's weird here, right? And, you know, I, uh, I have friends who are not Christians, and, you know, they know that I'm a Christian, they know that I go to church, and oftentimes that's their picture, they actually have a picture of Christians as either being like Ned Flanders, who's never angry, and it's almost fake, or the Hulk. They're always angry. They're always angry about something, right? And um, there's, some, there's a bit of a problem there, right? You know, as Christians, we're not called to be like Ned Flanders, who's never angry. In fact, when we look at the story of Jesus, and by the way, Ned Flanders, there's one episode where he finally explodes, right? It's like years and years of anger just pushed away and then finally explodes and he takes it out on everybody and at the end he's like in prison or something like that. Uh, yeah. So there's this idea that there's something fake about that, right? And yet in the Bible what we find is that God gets angry, Jesus gets angry, the prophets get angry, there's a lot of the Psalms where the psalmist will express this anger to God in prayer, right? That there's this sense that there, there is a sort of anger that we can have, that we're called to have. In Ephesians, Paul will write a letter to the, to the church in, Ephesians, in, in Ephesus, and he puts it this way. He says, be angry, be angry, and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let or don't let the sun set on your, angry, on your anger. Now, he, he doesn't say if you get angry, right? He doesn't say when you get angry. He says be angry and do not sin. It's an imperative. There's a problem if we never get angry. There's a, there are things that should make us angry, there are things that happen in our lives, in the lives of the people we love, in, in the world, that should make us angry. A great church uh, a pastor, a, a theologian, church father, his name is John Chrysostom, from the fourth century. He put it this way, he said, He that is angry without cause sins, but he who is not angry when there is cause sins. Let that sink in for a second as I drink some water. He that is never angry when there is cause sins. That there are things in the world and in our lives that should make us angry. Almost to the point where if we're not angry, we're sinning. This is a pretty big statement. This is a pretty big thing, and I think a lot of times we forget this. And when we look at these two characters, you could put the picture of the, both characters on the screen. There's the Hulk and there's Ned Flanders. When you look at yourself and how you get angry and how you deal with angry, who are you, who are you more likely to be? You put the picture of both, uh, both characters. 
There's the anger of Hulk, who views anger as the, this kind of a source of strength or a symbol of strength. Or there's the Ned Flanders thing, right, that where you never, ever get angry. Or maybe you're somewhere kind of in the middle. So I asked my wife, and I said, Beth, which one am I more likely to be? Or like, who am I more like? And to be honest, I wasn't happy with the answer. She said that I was more like Ned Flanders, and, uh, and then I become like the Hulk. So I got angry, and I called her the Hulk. That's what I... Take that. Um, maybe you could... Maybe just think about this for your own life. Like, who are you... What do you do when you get angry? What are you more like... How do you deal with your anger? And you know, Jesus has a lot to say about anger. He, uh, he, has, he actually has a lot to say about anger. And one of the, the parts of the... The, the teaching that we're going to look at this morning from Jesus, he's going to be talking uh, in this famous sermon on the mount, so famous sermon on the mount, he's going to talk about anger. And in this teaching, he's going to address uh, a common problem, uh, which is this temptation to be spiritual on the outside, to do spiritual things without dealing what's going on in the inside. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked a little bit about this. And he's going to use very extreme language to warn us of the danger of letting anger sit and grow in our heart and lead to sin, lead to deadly sin, lead to deadly sin, okay? So here, here's, here's how, how he goes, here's how he puts it in Matthew 5, it starts, starting at verse 21, okay, he says this, you have heard that it was said to those who lived long ago, don't commit murder, and all who commit murder will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be in danger of judgment. If they say to their brother or sister, you idiot, they will be in danger of being condemned by the governing council, like in the law, right? And if they say, you fool, they will be in danger a fiery hell. No amens to that one. Okay. This is pretty intense stuff, right? He, this, is, this is hardcore. Like, and so Jesus begins by saying, you know the Old Testament, you know the Torah, there's the law that you, thou shall not murder. Now you might go your whole life without murdering someone, but there's a sort of anger that is a lot like murder. That there's a sort of anger, you may not kill anyone, but you maybe you wish that they were dead. Or maybe you never even wish that they were dead. I mean, that's even hardcore for us, right? Maybe you just want everything around them to die. You want them to fail. There's a sort of anger that grows and becomes this murderous tool, this murderous power in us. And it's an anger that it does, it, it, it doesn't just happen to our enemies, but it happens to the people we love, that we could bring death and destruction to the people all around us. And Jesus says, listen, I want you to take seriously this, the effect that anger will have on your life, that anger will have on the people around you. And I want you to notice something. I know there's a, a, lot, of, a lot going on here, but there's a word, and I highlighted it, and, and it, it seems to be repeated over and over and over. That word is danger. Now, uh, some translations will, will say subject to, subject to uh, uh, judgment. 
I, I like this translation. It's danger, and, and it's the same word over and over, that you're in danger of judgment, you're in danger of X. And he says, uh, well, actually, the word danger in the Greek is, is the word enokos. You'll see the, the, the slide there. And this word enokos means to be held or contained or entangled, right? Giving this picture of almost enslavement, right? Being stuck. In Galatians, uh, uh, Paul will use this word in a very famous passage uh, where he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made you free, and do not be entangled, enokos, with a burden of slavery. That there's this sort of anger that is so dangerous, it is so powerful, that it enslaves you, right? It enslaves us, and it leads to serious consequences, it controls you. Can you think of a time, maybe this week, or in your life, where you got so angry that it almost became this thing that started to control you, this thing outside of you, right? Sometimes we, get, we can get so angry that we start to feel like there's nothing that could change the way I feel right now, right? I could offer you a million bucks and nothing would make me not angry in this moment. Okay, maybe not a million. You're like, I'll, I'll take that deal. I don't, I don't have a million, so. That there's a sort of anger that's so powerful that enslaves us. There's something else might, that might be kind of confusing in this passage where he says uh, that, you know, if you call someone an idiot or a fool, that you will be in danger. How many of you are like, I'm in trouble? Right? Yeah, I'm in trouble. Now, here's the thing with this, with what Jesus is saying. Jesus, there will be times where he will call people foolish. Okay? So there are times where Jesus will call people fools. So, what is Jesus saying? See, there are going to be times in our lives where we will feel or think that a person is acting foolish. In fact, it is important for us to realize that there are, there are, there's going to be times where there's people that we love that are acting foolish that we need to tell them you're being foolish, right? So what is Jesus saying? A part of what he's doing is he's, he's warning about, uh, us about a kind of anger that's so controlling and powerful that starts to come out of us in destructive ways. Usually through our, through our mouths. We start to say things and, and do things that we shouldn't say. Does anybody know what this is like? Right? I mean, think about how humiliating it feels when in a moment of anger you say, I'm going to I'm going to send that email and let them know. I'm going to send the text. And then you realize later, why did I do that? Anybody? That, humili- that's, that feeling of why did I say that? Why did I do that? You know, in the Psalms, uh, sorry, in the Proverbs, there's this kind of uh, warning over and over. That's, it's, it's, it tells us that a quick-tempered person displays folly. Right? That feeling that you feel of, I did that thing in my anger and now I feel foolish. The Bible's like, yeah, because you are foolish. Right? And, and it's, it's, actually good, it's actually good for us to feel foolish in those times, right? It's, it's almost kind of scary when we start to not feel foolish, when we act in our anger and we think, no, I was right. I did the right thing. Or worse, 
What happens when we start to say things in our anger to our loved ones that leave wounds that no matter how many times you apologize, it can never be taken back. It could never be unsaid. There's this intense power of anger when it becomes sin. I mean, maybe you've, you're here and you feel like that's happened to you, but in the reverse way, right? You weren't the one that, that, that said the thing. Someone, something, someone said something to you. And no matter how many times they apologize, no matter how many times they, they, they express the regret, it can't be unsaid. There are wounds that cannot be healed. Jesus says, do you understand that there are things that we say and things that we do in our anger that could be, never can be taken back, never could be undone? So Jesus then goes even further, really uh, confuses us, and starts to talk about the danger of fiery hell. The danger of fiery hell. And um, maybe in, in your Bible, the word uh, hell is translated as Gehenna. And Gehenna is actually the Greek word that's used here uh, when, when talking about hell is the, the word Gehenna. The word Gehenna is actually a physical location. So you can see on the, on the screen here, the, it's a physical location right outside the city walls, the southwest corner of Jerusalem. And it kind of became this place of the, the garbage dump of the, of the city. So everybody would bring their garbage there. It would be the place where there was dead animals and, and garbage and criminals, and there would be a fire burning everything. Uh, so it became a symbol of, of destruction and chaos, being isolated from the community. And, you know, a lot of times we read the word hell in the Bible, right away our mind thinks, oh, Jesus is talking about what happens when you die. Now, that's totally understandable and sometimes appropriate. But oftentimes when Jesus is talking about Gehenna, he's not just concerned about what happens when you die, he is concerned about the real consequences in this life, right? The, the life that we live today. That's why he's able to point to something and say, you see that place over there? Nobody likes going there. It's stinky. It's smelly. It's an isolated place. It's a place of garbage. That place that's happening now. Gehenna is not a place in the future. It's a place of now, right now. He uses this image to talk about the dangers of anger. There's a sort of anger that can build and build in us that takes over our whole lives and leads to this destruction and chaos isolation and misery, misery. Now, it's a fair question for us if we might ask, but is Jesus possibly talking about the afterlife? Is he, talk, is he saying that angry people go to hell? It's a fair question. Now, one of the most helpful pictures of this idea of hell, at least for me, has been from a little book uh, by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. The Great Divorce is a short book. You could read it in, in like an hour. Um, a short little allegorical book, so it's, it's a fiction, about heaven and hell. And uh, the thing about this, this story in, in The Great Divorce is that everybody in hell gets exactly what they want, and yet they're miserable. 
They have exactly what they've ever really loved, what, what, what they've kind of idolized in their lives, and they're miserable. They're living self-consumed, uh, isolated lives. And one of the interesting things about everybody in hell is that, is, is that the, the, the choices, the bad choices, the, the foolish choices that they made in their life have become the defining character traits in hell, in the afterlife. Right? So the, these miserable choices that have made them miserable people now continually choose misery. misery. And they're marked with this sort of anger and rage. And what happens is that it makes it impossible for them to receive forgiveness. Not only to offer forgiveness, but to receive forgiveness. That's one of the, 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 the strange powers of anger. It makes it really hard for us to see that we need to be forgiven too. It makes us so isolated from this, really from God's grace in our lives, to even receive God's grace in our lives. That is hell. So it's not so much that God sends angry people to hell, it's that as we get, this anger grows in us and all we choose is hell. You see, one of the reasons why Jesus uses this strong language of murder and judgment and hell is to help us take seriously this, this, the, the, the destruction that comes from this kind of anger. You know, we live in a world, really, that doesn't see anger as destructive. Jesus knew this. We often, what we do is we deny our anger, right? We, we minimize our anger. Or worse, we blame others for our anger. This happens all the time. You know, uh, a little while ago, actually a few weeks ago, there's been, uh, there was uh, a kind of trend on social media called the anger test, and it was on TikTok. And um, basically, TikTok is, by the way, it's uh, a social media platform, and you all know what it is, right? It's not a big clock or anything like that. Um, so, so on this, uh, so there's been this trend called the anger test. And, and what it is, is people go, uh, there's this website, you can go, you could go do it, and you could, you could, it'll rate your anger, and it'll compare your anger to the rest of the population. And what a lot of people are doing on TikTok is they are, promo they are basically showing off their anger. They're doing this test, and they're, they're telling the world, like, as if it's a badge, or an accomplishment, like a, a competition, right? Look at how angry I am. I have the patience of a four-year-old. Follow for more, you know? What? I'm not following you. And I'm just thinking, like, aren't you a little bit embarrassed? Why, why is it that we can flaunt our anger? Well, one of the reasons is that there's something that we do when it comes to anger. And one of the dangerous things that we do is we start to act as if it's someone else's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's the government's fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my boyfriend's fault. Now, there are times when this is true. There are times that we experience injustice and some sort of violation in our relationships where we feel angry. But it's so easy for us to use that as an excuse to let our anger become this controlling, enslaving force that destroys everything. And we don't take serious the consequences of our, 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 our anger. 
not only might it hurt the people you're angry with, but it's very likely going to hurt the people that you love. We have to take seriously, I have to take seriously, that my anger today, my anger today, will affect the relationships my kids have in 20 years from now. How has anger affected the culture of your home? How has anger been a destructive force in your own life? We see this all the time in relationships. Sisters who fight and, you know, have a small fight and they never talk to each other again. They forget why. Best friends who are no longer friends don't even want to see each other. Maybe you're here and you're angry about something that maybe happened to you years ago and every time you think about it, you get angry and it's killing you from the inside. It's easy to be there. But Jesus, Jesus knows. He says, be careful. Be careful. Now Jesus is going to continue in the next few verses and he's going to go a next step, okay? When, when it comes to anger. And he says this. He says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your sister or br- your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go. First make things right with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. This is weird. Do you know that this is weird, right? What Jesus is saying is very, very weird. First of all, he's talking about bringing a gift to the altar, okay? He's talking about how, he's referring to how people in his day would worship God. So all of a sudden, he's talking about worship. He's talking about anger. Now he's talking about worship. And there's a lot of kind of logistics involved in worship in that time, okay? He's speaking to people who lived in Galilee. Galilee is about a three days journey to the temple, okay? So for people to worship, they would have to travel three days, not three hours, three days, and they would get to the temple, to Jerusalem, go to the temple, right, they're, they're, they're zonked, they're so tired, probably, and they get to the temple, they have to go now to the temple courtyard, and that's a place where you can go and buy a gift, which would be a live animal. So you buy some chickens, a goat, and then you bring it into the temple and you offer it as an act of your worship and that's it, you go home. Thank you, Jesus, praise the Lord, right? Easy, it took, so it took a week. And now Jesus, what, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say you get there, you realize you have some issues with the person and just finish your worship and then go home and deal with the, the issues. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He says when you realize that you have a problem, with someone, stop what you're doing, go back home, leave the animal there, go back home, deal with the issue, and then come back. Like, the people hearing this were think. I mean, this guy is nuts. Is he, the animal rights people, forget it, they're, they're really, ha- they're not having this. Don't you know that leaving a chicken by itself for a week, what's going to happen to the chicken? The scene almost becomes comical, right? It's comical. I mean, it takes three days to get back to Galilee. He cannot seriously expect me to leave a live animal sitting there in the temple for a week 
while I go back home, apologize to the offended person, and then return to Jerusalem. It's going to take an extra week. That is so inconvenient. Doesn't Jesus care about worship? You would think that he would say, worship God, then go deal with the problems in your community, the problems in your relationships. He doesn't say that. Why, is, why, why does Jesus say this? Well, one of the things he's doing, he's addressing a very common temptation to make worship all about me and God and not about me and my neighbor. That worship becomes all about me and God. And I could, I could live the way I need to live. And if people, you know, they get angry, I could hurt people. And it doesn't matter. I'm going to go worship God now. And God won't mind. And Jesus is like, think again. If you think that you can come and worship God and all your relationships are a mess, then maybe you've missed the point of worship. That worship is not just this private thing between me and Jesus, me and my Bible, me and God. That it involves a community. That involves people. It involves our relationship. God cares about our relationships. And worship has a lot to do with our relationships. If you want to know how your worship is doing, just look at your relationships. Not only do we make worship this private thing, but it's so easy to use God and to use spirituality, to use religion, to use Bibles, uh, Bible verses as a way to avoid the problems in our lives, to avoid the anger in our lives. And Jesus wants us to know, don't think that God, it, you can use God as a way to avoid your problems. A lot of people think that maybe when I become a Christian, that my pro, like I don't have to deal with my problems. They might not disappear, but I don't have to deal with my problems. And Jesus is like, listen, your problems matter to God. The more you learn to follow and worship Jesus, the more you live in reality, not taken away from reality. Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, if you are angry with your brother or sister, he says, if they are angry, right? If they have something against you, what? Why is that my problem? You, you feel the same way, right? Like, why, why is it my problem that they're angry with me? I'm just doing my thing. I'm just being true to myself, Right? And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. If they have a problem with you, you, you got to deal with that. See, because in the Bible, uh, not only are we warned of the danger of our own anger, but what starts to happen in our anger is we start to do something. We start to provoke others to anger. That's actually one of the signs, especially in the Proverbs over and over. This sign that you're angry is that you start to stir anger in other people. You start to provoke people to anger, like a fire that starts to spread. See, fire is very hard to, to contain, like anger. It's very hard to keep anger in one place. It starts to spread. It starts to come out of us in, in ways that we start to provoke others to anger. The Proverbs, uh, there's a couple Proverbs here that I'm sharing. Proverbs 20, 26, 21, it says, A quarrelsome person starts fights 
as easily as hot embers light charcoal or fire lights wood. Proverbs 15:18, a tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Maybe, maybe for you, you've learned not to be like the Hulk. You've, you've learned that you know, to be angry is wrong, but you've learned the skill of provoking to anger. I, I've seen this in my own life, right? Are you angry? No, 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 no. Just know exactly how to say the right words in the right timing, in the right way, just to, just to provoke, right? Anybody? Am I the only one? There we go. Oh, yeah, I see some hands. Okay, good. Do you do this with your kids? I mean, do you do this with your spouse? Do you do this with your parents? How about online? Nobody does this online. Provoking to anger is just as dangerous to Jesus than our own anger. And this is so countercultural. Jesus says, it is your problem. I'm like, why should I care about what people think of me? Jesus said, this is a big problem. It is your problem. Consider how you've been angry in such a way that you start to provoke others to anger. And I'm going to ask you now to do something very inconvenient. Go back home, deal with that, and then finish your worship. Whew. You know, anger has a way of revealing the things that we worship. See, as we start to pay attention to our anger, it starts to reveal the things that are most closest to our heart. Anger, we know, is an indicator, right? It's an indicator maybe of some injustice, some pain, some maybe infidelity. Maybe you're just grieving and it's turning to anger. And you should be angry. But what does it look like to be angry without sin? Why is it that Paul says, be angry, but don't sin? Now, remember, in this context, Jesus is addressing a problem with the spiritual leaders of the time. And one of these problems that they have is they love to show off how much they do for God. We talked a little bit about this last week, this pride, right? And for them, it was important for people to see how much they brought to the altar, the gifts that they brought to the altar. So no wonder Jesus is saying, you think the gifts are important to God? They loved it when people would see how they pray. They loved to be seen by people as they went to the temple and were committed to God, right? This kind of pride. That sometimes the things that we do for God become more important than God himself. And Jesus is going to address this, that in their show of worship, what they're really worshiping was not God, but it was the, the, themselves, right? It was their status, as spiritual leaders, their image, their reputation, that was what they worshipped. It was so important for them to be seen by others. And you know what's going to happen in this story? As you read through the book of Matthew, as we go through on this journey of Lent, and we, we approach the cross, whenever Jesus addresses this problem, this problem of hypocrisy, they get angry they get angry, and they get so angry that they eventually want to kill him. No wonder he's talking about murder, right? 
No wonder he's talking about anger. Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus is talking about himself. See, you want to know what you worship, just pay attention to this kind of anger. Worship is not simply about the things that we want, but it's the things that we can't live without. See, you you can want a great education for your kids. You can want a promotion at work. You can even want respect from certain people. You can want to earn money. But if it's taken from you tomorrow, are you going to be okay? Whatever it is in your life, that thing that you can't live without, that ultimate source of meaning and purpose and self-worth, when that thing is threatened and challenged and put into question, you know what you're going to feel? You're going to feel anger. You're going to feel anger. I mean, just try this. The next time that you're angry, just stop and think, why am I angry? This is a very hard thing to do, especially while you are angry. See, it's not the kind of anger that, you know, you get angry and then you forget about it and then you move on. It's the kind of anger that bubbles up. It's the kind of anger that starts, you're thinking about it three days later and it's starting to enslave you. You start to say things that you shouldn't say. You start to provoke others to anger. What is it that makes you angry like this? What is it that you hold so dear that if it's threatened, it makes you angry? Maybe it's status, maybe it's image, Maybe it's money or power. Maybe it's your image as a a parent, as a mom, a certain kind of mom. And so when someone makes a comment, you get angry. Maybe it's comfort or convenience that in a moment where that comfort or, or convenience is taken from you or interrupted, you get this kind of uncontrollable anger. For a lot of people, it's the reputation you get from their kids. So as a kid's you know, start to fail at something in a way that makes me look bad. I, I am not angry at because I love my kids, but I'm angry because of how they make me look. Just try this next time you're angry. Do this with your partner. Ask, ask, ask them, what do, you, what do you do with your, when you get angry? Now, a, a few months ago, this happened to me. Sorry, guys, it came out a little bit early, but it's okay. A few months ago, this happened to me where all of a sudden I was, something happened at work and I was really angry. And, uh, and there's this moment where I'm like, okay, why am I angry? Why am I really angry? And, uh, and I started to think about this and, you know, this is what happened, by the way, is that there was this project that I was kind of overseeing in our, in our uh, at work and I was responsible for and I had a team that kind of, kind of worked with me on this project. And, uh, someone on that team decided that they were going to ask another person uh, from the company to, uh, to do something for this project. And, and in that moment, I, f- like, I found out two days later, and I got angry. And I'm like, why am I so angry about this? And I realized, you know, you know I, had, I had all these reasons, right? It's inefficient. It's a waste of time. It's bad communication, right? We have a system. I didn't approve this, right? And I realized in that moment that the reason why I was really angry was that I felt that my status as the person in charge, a person responsible, was being threatened. Before realizing this, 
I would have, like, this destructive force of anger start to come out, right? I'm going to show them who's in charge, right? I'm going to, who do they think they are? And I knew that if that's what I did, I would be letting this, this anger lead me and, and would crush her. Instead, I decided to wait. You know, one of the best things you could do in these times of anger is just slow down and wait. What do you get angry about? What does it look like for us to be angry in a way that honors Jesus? In a world that teaches us to minimize our anger, to deny our anger, that provoking others to anger is fine, what does it look like to, to follow Jesus in this way when he was angry? You know, God is often talked about as being angry in the Old Testament, but not angry like us. He's slow to anger. You know, there's a story of Moses in the Old Testament, and he says uh, to God, he says, God, show me who you are. Show me your essence. Show me who you are. And, and, then, and then finally God responds, and it says this, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. It's an anger not like ours. It's an anger in its best, purest form. It's an anger that comes from love. Sacrificial love. You know, a lot of people today, they say, you know, I, I don't really believe in a God of anger. I believe in a God of love. The problem, of course, is that if you have a God who is never angry, you can't have a God of love. Now, we sometimes have a, mo a problem with anger because it hasn't been modeled to us. But whenever God is angry, it's always from love. It's always from love. There's an author who uh, summarizes this perfectly as we start to kind of come to a close. And, it says, and she says this. You're going to see it on the screen. Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships? Do we respond with benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. The more a father loves his son, the more he's angry at the drunkard, the liar, the traitor in the son. If I, a flawed, self-centered woman, can feel this much pain and anger over someone's condition, how much more a morally perfect God who made them. When God is angry, it's because he is loving. When Jesus is angry, it's because he loves. And you know, oftentimes we look at the Pharisees, we're like, oh, those Pharisees are so judgmental. Let's judge them. Jesus loved the Pharisees. He ate with the Pharisees. And whenever he corrects and says, fools, it's because he loves them. And a lot of people love the story of Jesus flipping tables, right? That we love this, right? I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm angry with my wife. I'm going to flip the tables. I'm angry with the government. I'm going to flip the tables. I'm angry with my boss. I'm going to flip the tables. Because Jesus did that one time in the temple. And oftentimes we think that we could be like Jesus. Jesus did that from love. So often we get angry, but it's not from love. So that, that kind of love, that kind of anger never leads to provoking. 
Some of us are probably hurting because of anger. Maybe you're angry because you're hurting. Jesus knows that and doesn't take that lightly. He doesn't say don't be angry. He just says don't sin in your anger. When we look to Jesus, we're reminded that Jesus died at the anger of his enemies. Not just the anger of his enemies, but the anger of his own people. And when Jesus could have been angry, he said, forgive them. I mean, he has every right to be angry. And he says, no, I refuse to go the way of anger. In that moment, he puts an end to this cycle of anger that leads to murder, that leads to anger, that leads to murder, that started with Cain and Abel, if you remember that story. Two brothers, angry. In the season of Lent, we take some time to reflect on what makes us angry. Maybe we can start to consider, are there things in our hearts that we worship that when they're threatened, we get angry? Are there things that maybe that we want so deeply that we can't live without? I'm going to invite you to stand with us. You know, one of the things that Christians have done throughout the season of Lent is that he's offered us, is, is this kind of a practice of giving something up. Giving something up as a way to say, I'm going to give something, maybe there's something in my heart that I really love, that I really care about, that's kind of central to my identity, to my, the source of my purpose and meaning. And I'm just going to, it could be a good thing. And I'm just going to give it up for a time to just make room for God, to, to make room to really learn what it means to truly want Jesus. As a way of saying, Jesus, I want to be set free from the things that are maybe taking over me. That when those things are threatened, I get angry. I need to be set free from that anger. So that we would be people who learn to be slow to anger. It doesn't lead to provoking or destruction, but to be angry from a place of deep love, the way Jesus was. And we're going to sing this song about wanting Jesus. Do we really believe that? Do we really want that? I hope so. I know it's hard. Jesus wants to set us free from that anger. Before we sing, I'm just going to pray for us, with us. Jesus, it's so easy for us to deny our anger, to minimize our anger, to blame others for our anger. Help us to have the wisdom to know how and when to be angry without sin. To take seriously the, the, the destructive force of anger in our own lives. You know everything that's going on in our hearts, the injustices around us, the things that have happened to us that have made us angry. Help us to know how to come to you in these times for healing and wholeness, for forgiveness. We would be people who model to the world when there is a reason to be angry, that we would be angry in a different way, in a different way, so that they would see and know, wow, what is it about this Jesus that models for us this anger that comes from deep love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.
I'm sorry When I've just gone through the motions I'm sorry And I just sang another song Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm sorry When I've come with my agenda I'm sorry You said you're enough
Let's pray. God, may we God, may we never be the people who sing that song and don't take seriously the times that we love things that are not of you. When we put other things first in our lives and when we violate your ways. God, may we never sing that song as a replacement for taking seriously what it means to surrender and pay attention to those things in our lives and think that it's real worship. God, as we think of this morning and the things that are in our hearts and the desires that don't align with you, we think particularly of of anger and when it's bent away from, from your ways and from your heart, just the destruction and the pain that that can cause. God, may we never get the things that we want when they don't align with you. And as we pray, as we sing this song, and as uh, we, we learn to worship you, God, would you, Holy Spirit, transform us in the ways that only you can. Transform our hearts to align with your ways. Would you heal us as we think of ways that our our kind of bent desires have caused destruction in relationships and in areas of our lives. God, would you heal those things, restore those things in us, in our relationships, and would you bring freedom to us and teach us to love like you love Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask just as we go even from here that you would go before us, but that we would not go far without paying attention to things that you want to do in us and in our hearts. So be with us as we go from here. Would you give us the strength and the wisdom we need to follow you and to be obedient as you are, Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for being here. Can we just, uh, you know, just really thankful for Mateo, who is a special part of our church, just using his gift of just preaching to share with us. So can we thank him? Really, really special to have him share with us and just point us to, to God's ways and God's heart and love for us. Uh, a couple of things before you go, just really, really want to, uh, actually, I'll first say just that we have communion next Sunday, so you can uh, just uh, get ready for that. Really excited to gather again next Sunday to do that. Really quickly as well, before you go, we do have a team uh, who is available in our prayer space just in the corner there who would love to just take the time to pray with you if God's really stirred something in your heart today. Maybe that's really uh, one of the ways that you're just going to worship this morning is without rushing off, just taking a minute or two just to, to find someone to pray with. I'll be over there with the team as well. Um, so yeah, just again, so good to be with you this morning. And uh, you know, just look out on our website for social media, things happening during the week. As we mentioned earlier, we do have a Zoom prayer this Wednesday, so I'd love to see some there. But uh, thanks, thanks again and uh, have a great week. Take care, everyone.